Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoy this episode. Howdy. I uh, want to introduce you both to um, everybody at the summit here. The And I'll, I'll probably go back to, I think it was uh, 2017. We had an event here in Harrisburg, uh, Mary and her daughter, Alicia, who you saw earlier uh, during one of the breaks, um, we're, we're here in Harrisburg. Um, we have worked with Mary now for six or seven years, uh, specifically around compliance, really protecting our dollars um, as well. So Mary is the uh, queen of compliance. <laughs> Actually, we met in 2015. Now I remember. Um, the So yeah, queen of compliance. Um, she and the BCMS team will help uh, with everything that you can possibly imagine around compliance. Um, I know for many of us, it's a key thing right now to protect the dollars, uh, the reimbursement for the services that we're actually providing and not leaving money on the table. So you're going to love their session here. And thank you for doing this. And Jeff, can you see my screen? You're good. Okay. All righty. Well, welcome. And um, that was lovely, Chad. Thank you so very much. Um, we have had a wonderful time working with Breakthrough as well. So this afternoon, we are going to do the quickest review of three major compliance um, matters that can help you control your losses and create some gains, hopefully. Um, I'm going to allow about five minutes for each of these three. Unfortunately, we don't have time for questions, but what we have done is provided you with a, a lot of resources. Uh, you can click on links and you will be brought to our landing page. And from that landing page, you will get either full PowerPoint presentations on the subject or other resources. Okay, with that, let's just go ahead. So let's talk about changing payment methodology from an enrolled participating uh, provider to a or supplier, excuse me, to a non-participating. And that sounds crazy. It sounds like you either participate or you don't. But in this situation, you do have to be enrolled, and these are two classifications. So again, uh, if, if this PowerPoint link doesn't uh, work, you can go to your chat box or however Andrea has set up um, the um, information to be um, given to you. So we're looking at a way to increase possibly the opportunity to make more money. So if you change your enrollment status, from, from participating, which most of you probably are, to non-participating, you still have to be enrolled in the program. But between November, the mid, mid part of November and December, you are allowed to say, you know, I, I have another option and I'm going to stay enrolled, but I'm going to have a different way of collecting uh, payment from Medicare. Um, these changes can only be made one time a year, so we're real timely. You can start looking at the material and see if 
you're interested in doing this. So basically, the benefits of doing this is you are going to be able to collect more total money, total allowable money, uh, using the non-participating provider status. And it allows you to collect pay at the time of service from the beneficiaries. So those of you who are doing cash-based practices right now, this is a comp, very familiar territory. Those of you who aren't, you have to think twice about this because you're going to be um, uh, collecting cash from people who might not want to part with their money. Um, but 15% is quite of an incentive to me. And that allows you to collect 15% of Medicare's normal um, allowable for physical therapy uh, services as a non-participating provider. And I know this sounds crazy, but when you see the whole PowerPoint, it should make sense. So what does this do? It improves, obviously, your cash flow. You're not waiting for payment. You get paid at the time of service. If you're non-participating, um, this is what happens. You must bill Medicare. Then you can increase the amount of the patient's responsibility. So that's not Medicare to up to 15% more. They call that the limiting charge. And so you are going to be collecting um, 115% more total. Medicare will. Now, this is a point you have to understand. Medicare will pay the patient directly. You will no longer get a payment because you've already collected payment. They pay the patient 75 percent instead of 80 percent of the allowable fee schedule. Um, but if you don't collect from the patient and you don't collect the, the full amount, this does not work. So what are the risks? And you're saying, why didn't I do this before? Well, there are risks. Uh, since Medicare does re reduce a fee schedule to the patients, it's 5 percent less. That means you have to be OK with the patients paying more. And Medicare, again, pays the patient directly for their co-share. If, and I keep saying this over and over, if you're not willing to collect at the time of service, do not change to non-participate. This is a quick layout. I do not have time to go through this, but it'll show you what happens as a participating therapist with, let's just, we're using um, $100 as the fee schedule. What happens at the non-participating level and non-participating has two options. You would never accept assignment from the patient. There's a lot more stability in that. Or you could say I'm non-participating knowing that there's going to be a reduction, again, of that $80 uh, portion that Medicare would pay on $100 to um, 75%. So uh, if you accept assignment, you will bill Medicare, Medicare will pay you, but you're going to have that reduced, that reduction of 5%. So look at these carefully and um, please do um, uh, look at the PowerPoint presentation so you can understand how this works. Unit counting methodology. Um, this has been um, my bread and butter, let's say that. Um, at breakthrough presentations. We have almost covered this every single time. I asked Chad, is the audience tired of this? He said, do it again, Mary. So I'm doing it again. Um, so when we look at unit counting methodology, uh, there is a, certainly an opportunity to increase your dollars, especially if you've been doing everything at, uh, at the eight minute rule. 
Uh, you know, everyone's familiar with the eight-minute rule uh, categories, how you can count your uh, each unit when you get paid for, you know, multiple units, that type of thing. And then AMA's rule is that anything over 50% of the total uh, of 15 minutes per unit uh, is payable as one unit. Now, there is a caveat there, and we'll go through that. So, uh, regardless of what whether you're using Medicare methodology or whether you're using uh, AMA methodology, you have to use the most current version of the CPT codes. There's very few exceptions in that. Workers' comp is not considered a covered entity as a payer, so they can kind of manipulate um, their codes, and so be very careful with that. And there are a few other uh, payers, such as third-party accident, uh, disability, excuse me, disability uh, payers. Uh, many people ask, well, can you just tell us who allows Medicare methodology or utilizes it and who use, uses AMA methodology? No, I can't. I wish I could. I can tell you, in general, federal payers use Medicare methodology. Um, Medicare Advantage, as you know, is, is um, uh, coordinated through, uh, federally, but it is commercial payers, and they can set their own payment rules. They still have to comply with the CPT codes, but they can decide whether they're going to use the eight-minute rule or the AMA rule. And the only way you're really going to know that with any sense of confidence is to look at your payer um, our coverage policies per payer. And I, I would encourage you to do that for your top payers so you are certain what methodology they allow. If there is no answer, if there's no comment at all from your payer, then I would probably say it's safe to use the AMA methodology because most payers, if they're going to defer to AM2, the eight-minute rule will say uh, quite a bit about Medicare. And if they do, if they are talking about Medicare in documentation and, and other uh, coverage policies, most likely they'll follow the eight-minute rule. Um, the thing to understand about the two, the, the two uh, methodologies is that Medicare doesn't care what CPT code you use. They total the total minutes, and then the units are derived, the number of units are derived from that. Medic, uh, AMA, on the other hand, counts the minutes per CPT code. They expect you to hit 50% and greater of the 15-minute um, allowed minutes for that particular unit. Um, and if you have... Uh, two units of the same CPT code, you have to hit the whole 15 minutes plus at least another eight minutes to get two units. And I'll show you this. I have some illustrations to make that a little clearer. So let's look at the first step. Um, when we compare the two, AMA, we have eight minutes of exercise, meaning of therapy and therapeutic activities for a total of 24 minutes. As you can see, Three individual, separate and distinct CPT codes, 24 minutes. That gives you three units. If you go over and look at Medicare's eight-minute rule, same CPT codes, 
But again, Medicare doesn't care what CPT does. They're looking at the total minutes. Those of you who are familiar with the way Medicare handles its eight-minute rule, uh, we are only going to generate um, two units because we do not have enough total minutes to hit 37, right, C37. Now look at the next uh, example. We have uh, 16 minutes of exercise, eight minutes of manual therapy. Again, 24 minutes. But as you can see, AMA, because you did not hit 15 minutes plus eight minutes of exercise, you're only going to get one unit for that. You do have eight minutes of manual therapy, so you get a unit there. But the total is two billable units. Medicare, on the other hand, using the same CPT codes, because you use the total, you have 24 and 24 minutes, which equals two. So here we are, both of them are the same. And the third example shows where uh, the difference again pops up, this time in the favor of Medicare. We have 33 minutes uh, under exercise and seven minutes under uh, manual therapy. You do uh, generate two billable units um, for exercise because, again, you hit the 15 minutes, you exceeded the eight minutes by the full uh, unit count. So you get two units there, but you did not exceed manual therapy's eight-minute um, majority. So you have 40 minutes, you get two units. Same codes, you look at Medicare, two units of of uh, exercise, seven minutes of manual therapy. I call this the dangling minutes. You have 30 minutes, you're gonna get credit for for the uh, exercise. You have seven minutes, which would not meet the eight minute rule, except you have three additional minutes left over. And when you put that together, the 40 minutes from Medicare then generates three units. Okay, so let's talk about this. And this is so very important. This is, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, telling the story on the claim. Quickly, poor progression can be noted on the claim. And that is when we're talking about billing. But if you bill the way you doc, based on your documentation, you're telling the claim reader that, hey, we're not moving patient. We've done the coding, um, episodic coding, um, those types of things we're gonna talk about a little, a little bit more in the next slide too. So, excuse me. So when we look at utilizing all available ICD-10 codes, we are encouraging you to tell the story of complexity on the claim. So if you have a patient who maybe is a total hip, but he has other comorbidities that are very important that uh, can be substantiated through your uh, medical uh, provider's uh, referral or information. Um, you are going to be able to put those on. If you are doing more interventions and, you, and because of impairments and you're putting impairment diagnosis on the claim, again, it shows the complexity. It makes the 
reader at the time say, oh, well, this is a pretty complicated case. No wonder this is happening. So we want to remember to move the patient from basic uh, exercises, range of motion, those types of things, um, certainly increasing uh, the intensity, the reps, whatever, but not the same exercises, not the same CPT goes all the way from the beginning to the end of the episode. Um, strength and range of motion are essential. Obviously, you can't build too much of a, um, uh, independence without those, but we have to remember that we're, our goal is to move them to uh, functional independence. So when we look at therapeutic activities using words such as IN that start with the end, excuse me, end in ING, um, bending, lifting, uh, pivoting, those types of work uh, are indication that you were using multiple joints, multiple muscle groups. You're challenging the body. You're not in uh, just purely doing exercise or range of motion or just manual therapy, which again, while we need to, I was a manual therapist, we have to do these things. They still are very dependent um, procedures. So when we talk about coding um, to purpose um, or coding for the definition, uh, we have to look at are we actually representing the way we bill with um, how what we have documented? And if not, we have a problem. Many of us do what I call convenient or it is redundant coding because it's just easier to say, oh, throw that in with exercise. So we have to look at the code definition we're required um, by uh, uh, our Medicare and other payer guidelines and HIPAA to utilize these codes and their definitions. So we have to say if it says, you know, strength, um, range of motion, endurance, that's exercise. But when we get into balance and gait training and other things, we can't just throw something into a category. We have to look at the activity performed and the purpose. Okay, let's go here. What's that looking for me? Um, let's look at progressive coding. And I, when we were doing a little prep session, Bob and I were talking, and he said, I've never heard you talk about progressive coding. Progressive coding shows that you start the patient with some basic uh, fundamental uh, interventions. So when we are looking at strength, uh, endurance, range of motion, flexibility, that is the basis. But we have to move the patient again to that independence, uh, the challenging of the body, uh, in other activities to take them to that independence. And we have to core, uh, balance, we have to code according to those. Um, that can be seen at the claim. You can see if you do, you know, three units of exercise for the entire episode of care, mingling in some, some manual therapy or some neuromuscular or whatever, but you see this, this fundamental, um, continuation. And we should not have the patient just doing fundamental uh, interventions. Um, exercise is a foundation of our service, but we have to remember, again, independence. So this was something that I will show you, and this is true. Uh, I audited a case a number of years ago. The difficulty of walking was the diagnosis. And um, 
They, this is how they totaled it, 22 visits, one about, one rear about, and 66 therapeutic exercises. So you don't think that says what is going on. They have never progressed the patient. All they do is exercise. Is the patient going to be able to walk? You know, difficulty in walking, there's no gait training. Can they um, walk on, the, um, you know, uneven or, or different surfaces? You know, what can they do? Can they climb stairs or whatever? So none of this is going to be indicated just by exercise. So if we go here, this is how it really coded out when I read the documentation. Naval, reaval, therapeutic exercise, 24, gait training, two, neuromuscular 12, manual therapy 12, 16 therapeutic exercises. Does that show a little more clinical decision-making? Absolutely. So with that, I think I've hit my time. Please be sure to click on our landing page. And um, thank you very much for listening to this very, very short presentation. It's been great. Thank you. Hello, podcast listeners. I apologize for my voice. Recently suffered a traumatic blow to my trachea. But nonetheless, wanted to share something with you. Uh, and, you know, a recurring issue amongst breakthrough owners over the last few years has been hiring and keeping top-notch employees. You know, many have lost significant staff members to higher-paying jobs, often in local hospital systems or, or healthcare systems. Another common concern is the difficulty of finding candidates despite regular advertising efforts. However, there's good news. We're hosting a live event in Denver, Colorado from October 5th through 7th, specifically designed to help you improve your hiring processes. We'll, we'll concentrate on attracting, helping you attract high quality employees and teaching you how to incentivize and retain them so that your business can have a greater impact in your community by helping more people, serving more people. Industry is always shifting, which is why we've created new sessions specifically on employee recruitment and retention. You'll hear from current practice owners and industry experts who are navigating these issues right now in the trenches of private practice. This event is going to take place again October 5th through 7th, but remember, seats must be reserved ahead of time as the training is exclusively for private practice owners. To reserve your seat, go to info.getbreakthrough.com forward slash fall 2023. At the event, you're going to learn the eight phases of the hiring pipeline. You're going to learn, and this is a new session, ways to improve employee engagement, the four levels of competence and confidence where we're going to talk about situational leadership uh, and having crucial conversations. And then we're also going to have a special session specifically on recruitment strategies that are working in today's market. Again, the event is October 5th through 7th in Denver, Colorado. To reserve your seat, go to info.getbreakthrough.com forward slash fall 2023. Also, a lot of owners will ask, can I bring my team along? Absolutely. Our best practices will frequently bring, you know, 10 or more of their team members along as well. So if you have a team member who's key in helping you hire and retain your other employees, maybe it's a clinical director, or center manager, certainly you can bring them along as well. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, 
Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.